You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I am here. Aaron is here. This show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for Windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them that we told you to call. Michael Phillips, who covers the Redskins for the for the Richmond Times-Dispatch, that is, will be up here for minicamp this weekend, and he will join us shortly. Bobby Marks is a former NBA front office exec and now covers the league for ESPN. He will join us on the show today, and Scott Van Pelt, um, due to uh, call in a little bit later on as well. Tomorrow on the show, Aaron, I haven't told you about this, Tomorrow on the show, Vinny Serrato will be our guest tomorrow on the show. We'll catch up with Vinny about the Redskins, about the draft, and I'm sure more than that. Um, We've got to start with the Rockets Warriors. Uh, I did stay up for the entire game last night um, and all of the postgame because you're waiting to hear potentially about the injury. Kevin Durant uh, appeared in the moment late third quarter to have – an Achilles injury. Now they're calling it a calf strain. Good for him. Um, although the calf uh, strain could be, you know, depending on the seriousness of it, still could keep him out for the rest of the postseason. But I've never torn an Achilles, but I have been at least four times uh, on a basketball court in pickup games, especially in recent years, as the games I've played in have gotten older and older. Uh, But many of you know this too, when someone grabs the back of their lower leg or their calf, their upper ankle area on a no contact play, and they say they feel like they got kicked in the back of their leg, that's an Achilles tear most of the time. Uh, In fact, you can hear it with one dude I'll never forget. We heard it like it was a pop and it was him saying, who kicked me? And it wasn't a contact injury and he tore his Achilles. I've torn my calf before. That was ugly. Um, I thought it was an Achilles. Um, with Durant, they're saying calf strain. Again, depending on the severity, that could be just as bad. Not in terms of the rehab, um, but in terms of you know potentially missing the rest of the postseason. If you've got a severe calf strain or you know a partial tear of the calf, that could be months. Um, and but but if it's very insignificant, if it's a mild sprain of the calf, uh, it could be a few days. I think he'll miss the rest of this series. I'm guessing he will. They're doing an MRI this morning, uh, and then we'll know. So we're going to find out probably shortly after we finish recording the podcast um, what the injury is. In the meantime, the Warriors won last night without him over the final quarter and a half. And I guess there are two ways to look at what happened after he left the game. One is the Rockets just completely blew it. Or two is the Warriors came up big and won the game. I think it was the latter. And I was very surprised. Um, For those of you that stayed up and watched this, I don't know if you picked up on this at all. And maybe I'm exaggerating it to a certain degree. But the announcing crew of Kevin Harlan and Chris Webber on the game last night, I didn't think seemed... I didn't think they were emotionally involved in the way that I was watching the game and what the Warriors were doing without Durant on the floor. Because the whole context was this. 
first of all, the Rockets had all of the momentum in the game. They had cut a 20-point deficit in the second quarter down to one late in the third, and it looked like what happened in games um, three and four, although it was different because the Rockets had the lead in those games throughout, but it, it really looked to me like, once again, the Warriors were being worn out physically, that there was a physical toll that they were taking. But it was more than that. The context also included Steph Curry in the midst of a terrible game, personally. Very bad. I think at one point he was 2 for 11 from the floor. He didn't score in the first quarter of the game. I don't think he scored until midway through the second quarter. So no Durant. Curry is struggling. Houston's got all the momentum in the world. And what you're thinking as a basketball fan watching this, is the Warriors are done. The Rockets are going to win this game, and I know that they've got Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green, you know, Splash Brothers, Draymond Green. They won a title, and they nearly won two without Durant. But if you're watching this, you are thinking in that moment, this series is over. The Warriors' reign is over because Durant may leave Golden State. And you're thinking, this is it. It's over. There's no way they're going to win this game. The Rockets are going to win this game. They're going to close them out in game six. And that was it. You know, Durant had hit a shot on the play that he got hurt on. He hit this shot. And I think that shot either gave him a one-point lead or gave him a three-point lead. It may have given him a three-point lead. But the lead had been cut to one on the previous possession. So what happened? What unfolded after that was so dramatic, sports dramatic, You don't have to love the NBA. You don't have to love basketball. But to see the heart of a champion in Curry, in Klay Thompson, and in Draymond Green basically pick up for the loss of Durant, and Curry all of a sudden became a monster. You know, he knew he was the guy that had to basically carry the scoring load. He scored 14 points over those final 14 minutes or whatever it was when Durant left the game. And they needed it, or it was over. The drama of Durant leaving the two-time defending champs on the ropes, this dynasty on the ropes, looking like it was going to end, the struggle that Curry had been going through, not just last night, but in the series. Harden and the Rockets having rallied back, and then to see this champion come through, Steph, Clay, Draymond Green, these three having won a title, nearly a second. Look, Cleveland doesn't get that title in that second championship matchup if Draymond Green doesn't get suspended from Game 5. They were up 3-1 in that series, the Warriors were. And they lost two games on their home floor. If Draymond Green didn't get suspended for that Game 5, I think they close the Cavs out 4-1, and LeBron never gets that title for Cleveland. I don't think he would have gotten that title anyway if it hadn't been for Kyrie Irving in that particular series. What a difference Kyrie was in the series that just finished. More on that in a moment. But man, the moment last night of Steph stepping up, Clay stepping up, Thompson had already had a good game. He, He came out on fire early last night. Draymond Green, the intensity... I know so many of you can't stand Draymond Green. I'll tell you what, if you're a coach, if you're a teammate, that kind of fire and competitiveness 
I mean, he was so valuable in that game last night. Stupid technical foul at 91-88, I think it was. Um, stupid technical foul. But then he, he, he basically answers for it on the other end with a huge three. To see the three of them in that moment last night where they looked doomed, play the way they did was badass. You know, even Allie LaForce, who was on the sideline last night, I, I you know, and I like her. She does a great job, you know, with CBS and SEC football and all of that. But her post-game interview with Steph Curry on the floor seemed to initially miss the significance of what had just happened. Like I'm sitting there thinking, man, I, Harlan and Weber, I, they're calling a game, and a lot of you like Harlan. I'm not a big Harlan guy. I actually think Weber's pretty good. You know, whatever you think about him, I think Weber actually does a decent job analyzing the game. But I really felt like they were missing what was happening, which was if you're watching that game when Durant goes out, how many of you really thought the Warriors were going to win the game and win the series? They haven't won the series yet. I thought it was over. I thought potentially even with Durant in the game, that the Rockets were starting to assert themselves and that the Warriors were in trouble and that Steph was going to have to come up big anyway. And without Durant, he did. Steve Kerr didn't miss the significance of what had happened. He wasn't asked specifically about the the guts and the effort and the the championship, you know, defense, the champion in Curry and Draymond and in Clay Thompson. Um, he wasn't asked about it specifically, about how resilient and how much heart the team had, but he offered it up as part of an answer. And I'm not going to bleep out the profanity because we don't have to on a podcast. And I think you missed just how significant this was and how Kerr in, in one moment is, you know, in the team is concerned about Durant, but in the other, they couldn't couldn't sort of overlook what they had just accomplished. This was the head coach, Steve Kerr, after the game. I don't know if you're a soccer fan, but uh, Liverpool yesterday came out with just one of the great wins in soccer history. And after the match, uh, their manager, Jurgen Klopp, said, uh, he said, I'm, you know, the, the young kids in Liverpool are probably asleep by now. So, so I, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, but our, our boys are fucking giants. That's what he said. And uh, I know how he feels. So I apologize to my mom, who uh, is probably watching, but our guys are fucking giants. Like, that was an unbelievable victory tonight. It, it was. I mean, it was incredible. It was just, It's one of those sports moments, you know. I, I'm not going to get carried away here, but if you're watching this game and you watch Durant go out and you watch the way Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green in particular and Iguodala also, you know, a champion, if you watch the way they responded, it was really like edge-of-your-seat stuff. It was incredible. Curry basically, at one point after Durant left, he was 5 for 6 after being, I think, 2 for 11. And he finished with 25 points in the game. I'll tell you, a key player in that game last night for Golden State was Kevon Looney. 
He came up with monster rebounds last night. Hit some crucial free throws late, too. But he had nine rebounds total, five offensive rebounds, including off of one of Steph's misses down the stretch, where he grabbed the offensive rebound, kicked it to Klay Thompson, and splash brother number two knocked down a monster three that gave him an eight-point lead late. It wasn't over, though. There was a crazy sequence at the end of the game. Uh, the, the Warriors are up three after, by the way, I think Harden's one field goal, made field goal, in the in the fourth quarter. I'm going to get to that in a moment. And they're up three, and Klay Thompson, they're pressuring Klay Thompson. He's caught on the sideline, double-teamed. By the way, at, at, the Warriors had no timeouts left because they had used two of them on a previous inbounds play, which was a little bit weird um, because they advanced it after the second uh, timeout. But Thompson gets trapped, throws the ball away. There's a loose ball, and Eric Gordon had a chance. If he falls on the ball or gets possession of the ball, Houston calls a timeout, and they've got a chance to tie it You know, down three at 102.99 with about eight seconds left. Instead, the ball gets knocked around. Uh, by the way, Clay Thompson in the replay showed this. When he made the, the, pa- the bad pass after being trapped on the sideline, he actually stepped out of bounds. Um, if they had reviewed that, uh, Houston would have had the ball. But somehow, off the mad scramble, Looney comes up with it and then hits Clay Thompson, who cuts back door. And Thompson doesn't need to shoot, but he does anyway. He scores, and Golden State wins the game by five. 104-99. It's a great... It was not a well-played game for a lot of it. It was intense. You know, it's a game five in a 2-2 series. I mean, it was very intense. But, you know, the teams had... A lot of turnovers, a lot of unforced turnovers in that game. One of the storylines, though, from that game, Aaron, is that James Harden, in the fourth quarter, took one shot. He checked in with seven minutes, eight seconds left in the fourth quarter after taking his normal rest, I guess, at the beginning of the fourth. And he took one shot, one shot attempt for James Harden over the final seven minutes and eight seconds. And it was the one that came late with them down five. He drove it, uh, scored on a layup to make it 102 to 99 with 18 seconds left. Can you imagine if that was an elimination game for Houston? He would be getting killed right now. Now, Golden State ran at him off the, off the ball screens, doubled him at times, made it more difficult, but that doesn't matter with James Harden. You know, you can see him, so he comes off a, a, a high ball screen, they run a double at him, but he's really patient with the dribble until the double drops off, all right, and then he goes to work. There was none of that. It was crazy to watch. He deferred, basically, to Chris Paul down the stretch, Chris Paul down the stretch was basically more of the playmaker than Harden was. Harden finished with 31, but just two in the fourth quarter on one shot attempt. That is crazy. If you've been watching Houston, that it, it was very, very deferential in the way that Harden approached those final seven minutes and eight seconds. It was almost as if Maybe he felt like they were going to win. There was no Durant. They, they did. I don't know what the feeling was, but they, 
I, I started off this conversation about the game saying, was it more Houston blew it or that the Warriors came up big and won it? I definitely, I definitely think it was the latter. I mean, Curry's performance over the final 14 minutes was spectacular. Um, it, Draymond Green was so good and so important, so valuable. Like, there's nothing more insignificant to Draymond Green's game than looking at his final point total. Nothing more insignificant. He only had eight points last night. 12 rebounds, 11 assists. By the way, I think he had eight assists in the first quarter of the game. The intensity. He fouled out with a minute to go, just over a minute to go. So they were down Durant and Green for the final minute plus in that game. But Harden, man, what the hell happened to Harden down that stretch? So what's next in this series? Well, let's assume for a moment that Durant's not going to play the rest of this series. Even if it's a slight strain. I guess there's a chance he could be back for Sunday's Game 7, if there is a Game 7. I, I, I really don't have a gut feel. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if Houston wins two games. And it wouldn't surprise me if Golden State closed them out in six. Sorry. it's I don't have this... Absolute feeling. I, I watched, you know, inside the NBA afterwards. It's it's the best studio show there is in all of sports. There's nothing better than Ernie, Shaq, Barkley, and Kenny. It's the best studio show and has been for a long time. And Barkley definitively said this series is over. Houston's winning this series. They're going to win the next two games if Durant can't play. That that the Splash Brothers are they're not what they used to be. You know, when Kenny Smith and Shaq push back, they won, you know, they won a title and nearly won two before Durant got there. And Barkley's like, are you kidding me? They're a dynasty because of Durant, he said. That they wouldn't have won come anywhere near close to winning two titles the last two years without Durant. Durant's been incredible in these playoffs. It's been incredible. And you know, before the closing stretch last night, I well, I thought it in the moment. I thought the series was over when Durant got hurt. I was intrigued to see if Steph would step up. If he was capable of stepping up with the way he was being defended, you know, by thicker, more physical defenders, PJ Tucker in particular. And he did. So now I think they can win this series. They only have to win one more game, and the seventh and deciding game would be at home. And Houston still I I, I just I, I get it on, on Harden, and I, too, enjoy watching the incredible scoring you know, skill. And it's, it's fun to watch. I just don't think a team like that can beat the Warriors. I certainly didn't feel that with Durant, but they were in trouble. And then all of a sudden they came through. I don't have a good feel for it. I didn't bet the game last night. I think I said on the show yesterday that if I were forced to bet the game last night, I would have bet Houston that I had a hunch that they had a chance to win the game last night. And again, I don't I don't have these real strong definitive feelings about this series. I'm just sitting back and enjoying it. Um, but, uh, you know, Harley from Window Nation, he and I were texting back and forth last night. He's like, do you like anybody tonight? I'm like, I don't like anybody. I think I told him, if you forced me to play the, both games, I'd probably take Milwaukee because Boston looks dead, and I'd probably take Houston plus the six. And both of those would have hit. I didn't play either game. I just didn't have 
a strong enough feeling about either game. And I don't have a strong enough feeling about game six. I think Houston's going to win game six. I think they will. And I think we're going to get a seventh and deciding game, more likely than not, without Durant. And I think that the Warriors can win that game. But I thought the Rockets at 2-2, I had changed, I'd flipped on the series. If you were listening to me the last couple days, I thought maybe, you know, I thought Houston looks good. They're wearing Golden State out. It's been, this series has been compelling. I mean, I know so many of you out there are like, move on from the NBA, dude. Nah, you can't. Not after a game like last night. Not when you're in the midst of a series like this one. This is enter- this is entertaining. And I'm not talking about the personalities and the the sideshows. I'm talking about the basketball. It is intense. The at the tip of last night's game, Harlan and Weber nailed that. You could feel it at the tip. They just both said haven't haven't felt the the feeling that we feel right now at Oracle at, at any point. The electricity at the start of that game and what it is too is you've got the threat of a dynasty ending and the desperation that comes with that from a fan base and from a team. It's like, we don't want this to end. This has been great. And we actually feel threatened by this Houston team that won two games in Houston and beat us up a little bit. It's been very, very entertaining. Not always the best basketball, um, but uh, it has been certainly very, very intense. And Tomorrow night will be the same thing in Houston. I guess if you forced me to bet, I would say we're going to have a Game 7 in this series. By the way, Barkley's other statement was, if somehow Golden State gets through, there's no way they would beat Denver or Portland. I disagree with that. I think that this team, even without Durant, would have um, a shot to beat a team that would be in the conference finals for the first time and all of the associated pressure that would go along with that against a team with all the experience that the Warriors have. By the way, the Warriors, even without Durant, are still a really good team. They're still a really good team. And down the stretch, I didn't see an example of uh, a team that had faded. You know, stars in Curry and Green and Thompson that had faded. I saw certainly examples during this series of them being physically worn out a little bit, especially Thompson and Curry. But... They still are capable, man. They are still capable. Real quickly on Boston-Milwaukee, Kyrie Irving's gutless. Um, the performance last night by Kyrie Irving in that game in the, in the series was quitter mentality, gutless. He had uh, he had a game last night, um, and I didn't watch all of it, to be honest with you. I, 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 watched it, it, I watched it until it got out of hand. He had a couple of threes in the game last night where he didn't even come close to hitting the rim. He was so disinterested in a closeout game that it made me sick to my stomach to watch it. I wouldn't want Kyrie Irving. I think he's a phenomenal talent. I think he is a troubled dude. I think he's wrapped up like a lot of these guys are in themselves, in social media, in their you know position, you know, on the elite ladder. Kyrie Irving was a gutless player last night cowardly player last night and in this series six for 21 last night throwing up bullshit shots with no offensive movement brad stevens took all the blame afterwards you know what okay fine i don't know what you do with kyrie irving the whole chemistry of that team was off all year long and it was because of irving 
I don't know where he goes. It was funny inside the NBA last night did one of their, you know, uh, they, they, they do those full screen animated Chiron things of gone fishing. You know, the, the, the Celtics are going fishing their season's over and they had, you know, on the boat, Al Horford and Brad Stevens. And then, you know, Mark Wahlberg and other Boston people, Gronk. And then in this side boat, is Kyrie Irving in a Knicks jersey <laughs> fishing by himself? It was great. Uh, that th- that Boston team wasn't right. I was dead wrong about that. I thought they would beat Milwaukee. Milwaukee was awesome in the series. They didn't even have to be that awesome in the series. Uh, once uh, once you had um, some turmoil, uh, once you had some adversity introduced into the series with them down 2-1, it was over. Uh, they played poorly uh, throughout, uh, and they had no fight. No fight whatsoever. Uh, I can't stand to watch that. Uh, we'll get to the Nats in a little bit. Uh, they lost again in Milwaukee yesterday afternoon. Uh, quick word about Window Nation. Uh, Window Nation right now, uh, Window Nation has their graduation special. Uh, it is 50% off all window styles. Bays, bows, double hung, wood, vinyl, any size, any color, all custom made and all at 50% off. Harley, Aaron are two of the best entrepreneurs I've ever met. Window Nation's a phenomenal company. Um, one of the best customer service companies uh, in the service industry. I promise you, if you've been thinking about windows, give Window Nation a shot. They've got massive buying power, which creates huge savings opportunities for you. Right now, you can get an entire house of windows for as low as $69 a month. That's $69 a month. That's lower than your cell phone bill. And if you call Window Nation this week, take 50% off every window, plus get free, yes, free blinds with the purchase of a house full of windows. New windows save energy, improve the look and value of your home, and you can do it for all all of it for as low as $69 a month. Call Window Nation today. You'll get a free in-home estimate the next day they can come out, and the quote they provide you will be valid for a full year. Call 866-90-NATION or go online at windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com, and tell them that I sent you. All right, let's stick with the NBA and bring in Bobby Marks. Uh, Bobby was uh, a front office executive in the NBA for a long period of time, and now he covers the league and the front office in the NBA for ESPN. You can follow him at BobbyMarks42 on Twitter. Uh, Bobby was a guest multiple times on the radio show over the years, and it's great to have him back. And I was thinking about you yesterday because I, I wanted to talk to you about you know the Lakers situation and you know the Wizards situation, and then we had the game last night, which I just spent 20 minutes talking about. I thought it was one of the more dramatic moments we've had in a postseason in a long time because I don't know how you felt, but when Durant got hurt, in watching this series, every minute of it, and then last night's game, I really thought in the moment that the series was over, especially when you considered the context of Steph playing so poorly. I thought it was over, if, and I thought it was an Achilles tear like anybody who's ever played hoops before and has seen it before. Um, what did you think in the moment when he got hurt? Well, yeah, I thought here's your opportunity for Houston to win in on the road, something that they haven't been able to do, and then try to finish it off in, in a game six. Um, I did think it was an Achilles when, when he did it, just based on, you know, when, whenever you see that player look back and there's nothing there, 
<laughs> and it's basically right. um, a non-contact injury. But his ability to kind of walk off the court, um, I guess, kind of quelled those fears. I, I mean, what I thought was what's going to happen in, in the summer now. If it was a, a long-term injury, how would it impact Durant, Golden State? I mean, there were so many different layers there. But from the game in itself, I mean, we saw why Curry and, and Thompson and Green, you know, why they're all-stars. You know, they basically put that team on, on their backs. And and I just thought it was a, a blown opportunity for uh, Houston to kind of, you know, close, you know, get a get, get a game five at, on the road. What was more surprising to you, the fact that Curry was struggling so much and then all of a sudden really came up big? I mean – championship big when when they had to have him or for all intents and purposes a bit of a disappearing act from Harden in the fourth quarter I think more that Harden the inability to take over the game at the end I know Eric Gordon hit some big shots I think one of them was to cut it to one or even tie it but I think that Harden layup was really his only field goal attempt in the last you know down the stretch here so I know you know, Mike D'Antoni said, you know, you look at a stat sheet and he had a great game and can get 31. But I think just the inability to kind of take over. Uh, eventually you figured uh, Curry and Thompson would, you know, you know, regain their form here. And I think, you know, certainly when, when Durant goes off, you they really had no choice. I mean, it's based on how that roster is built. It's, it's the, you know, there's not really that next man up approach. You're going to have to rely on your two, two all-stars. You know, you know basketball so well, and there was definitely more of a a hard hedge off that ball screen, and it, and even you know a a momentary double to try to get Harden to give it up. But we've seen him be patient before, let the double go away, and then go to work. And it was just odd. I mean, he deferred multiple possessions to Chris Paul. I just thought it was really strange. Well, you're right. I mean, he did, and then that's not that's not the the nature of James Harden. I mean, especially we saw him, you know, during the stretch when there was no Chris Paul and there was no Clint Capella, where he basically put that team on his shoulders, and you know, and 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 how the ability to kind of um, you know score the ball and 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 you know also act as a facilitator. And I think that's that's my biggest surprise. I mean, is that as I said, like you know, his inability to kind of be passive and not take over the uh, the last five or six minutes of the game. So what do you think happens the rest of the way? Well, I don't think we'll see Durant. I would be stunned if we see him for um, a game six or, or you know, even a, a game seven if we if we get there. I'm, you know, I, I I would be surprised if this doesn't not get back to Oracle on um, on a Sunday for a game seven. And I, I still think Golden State gets out of out of this round. Um, but I think if if Houston does not. I just think it's a crushing blow. I mean, especially to your psyche. You lose this team in seven games last year. You fall short this year without Kevin Durant. You basically return the same same roster here. But um, it is hard to eliminate this Golden State team with or without Durant. Yeah, I, it's strange because I, I thought that even with Durant out there, you know, Houston had cut that 20-point lead down to one. Um, They had physically, I felt like in games three and four, game four in particular, they had really physically, you know, worn out Golden State, especially Curry and Thompson. They were playing them, you know, with bigger, stronger, thicker guys, Tucker and, you know, some real competitors like Tucker. And I I thought that they might actually be in trouble with Durant, but then the way they came back last night in the fourth quarter, I don't know what to think. I mean, it, it's going to be a great watch. I think I would be surprised if it doesn't get back to Oracle for a seventh game. Well, and also what, what 
uh, Golden State did last, um, you know, for game five is that they kind of turned the script a little bit. They turned it into a little bit of a street fight. Yeah. You know, you saw Kevon Looney come in and get uh, rebound after rebound. And, and they just did the little things, you know, loose balls, rebounds, block shots, getting back in um, uh, in on, in transition. And, and that's what... That's what um, the Rockets were able to do in game three and four. You know, there was little margin there, but the loose ball taking a charge, I think, is what, what the Warriors were able to do, um, you know, on uh, in, in a game five. Yeah, I mentioned Looney, too. I thought he was a very uh, underrated contributor last night. Those offensive rebounds, you know, created those additional opportunities. Plus, he, he knocked down a couple of big free throws, too. Um, late. Um, the other game last night, and I spent very little time talking about it other than to say that Kyrie Irving, I, I really thought it was a gutless performance last night. Um, you, you know, you know, front offices and, and, and have a sense of teams and chemistry. What the hell was wrong with Boston with all that talent? Well, first, I think regarding to the game, it felt like I was watching an early October preseason game. Yep. I really did. I mean, I and I don't think Milwaukee played great either. Um, and they, I think they kind of let, let them hang in there and kind of turn the screws, I guess, in the second half here. But, you know, when you have so many mouths to feed, as I say, and you have guys now taking on different roles than they did last year when Kyrie was out and Gordon Hayward was out, now you have Terry Rozier go to the bench and the roles of, of um, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown certainly change a lot. That is a that's hard to kind of you know have everyone accept their roles and I think you know Brad Stevens kind of hit it on the head. I don't think he did a great job this year. You know, part of your job as a head coach is not just the X's and O's. It's kind of managing that locker room and managing personalities. And I think the personalities of that group didn't work. And now we kind of go into the off season and certainly the the, the decision of Kyrie. We'll hang over this this franchise for the next uh, for the next six weeks here. So what? Where will he end up? Well, I, th- I still think Boston will offer him the 189 or 90 Oof. million dollar max contract. Would you? Yeah, I know it's a big. I would to the point where I would almost try to steal a script out of what the Clippers did with Blake Griffin, as far as you keep that player in house and then if you want to flip down the road, do so. It comes with a huge risk if you know Kyrie doesn't get hurt. Um, I just don't know what the alternative is. Do you have a comfort level if um, Terry Rozier is your, um, you know, your, your point guard of the future? I know they've got three first this year. It's not a great um, point guard draft up up top there, um, but yeah, it's a it's a big number. And you basically, you you sign Kyrie and you are bringing back the same group. So how are you going to figure out the personalities? You know, five or six months later, going into to training camp, it's not something you can just kind of turn turn the switch on here. Um, I think you can. You know, if you want to walk away, you can. You didn't sacrifice a ton to to get him. You know, you gave up a top eight pick and Isaiah Thomas and and Jay Crowder there. But um, you know, it's it's a it's a hard. Um, you know, question to kind of put your arm, arms around here. But I think if I was Danny Ainge, I would put that offer on, on, on the table and, and kind of go from there. If he doesn't end up in Boston, and man, it didn't look like he was coming back to Boston last night. But if he doesn't end up there, do you think he ends up in New York? I was actually thinking last night, Bobby, what he really should do is go back to L.A. and, and, and play <laughs> with LeBron. That that probably is his best chance where he doesn't have this sense or feeling that it's all on him. Oh, it would be fitting, wouldn't it? Yeah, it really <laughs> I mean, would be. But but I think, you know, what it taught us, I think these playoffs taught us, and even during the series, is that, you know, Kyrie is not a number one. Nope. 
I, I mean, and he'll he'll get paid like one, and that's that's really just kind of how the market is. You know, I I, I I talk to teams, and we always talk about like how do guys get paid? You know, how do we determine the mar- how do we determine a salary? We always say this guy's a max player, and and really at the end of the day, it's it's the market. <laughs> the market dictates as far as you know if Kyrie Irving is going to get thirty two point seven million or twenty million dollars, and and there'll be a market for him. You know, New York, the Lakers, maybe Dallas, Brooklyn teams like that. And yeah, I think if you're Kyrie, I don't know if New York makes sense. You know, basically you're kind of walking into an expansion team and you were asked to kind of lead that team. Um, does it change if you get Kevin Durant? Certainly. But yeah, I mean, I think for the for the best decision for his own career is to go to L.A. and kind of be that number two guy like you were in Cleveland if if he's willing to accept that. You know what's interesting is you, when you said Kyrie's what we've learned is he's not a number one. I I, I have that sense now, but the the one championship that LeBron got in Cleveland in that seventh and deciding game at Golden State. First of all, they were lucky to get there because Draymond Green got suspended in game five when they were down 3-1, but it was Kyrie who was the alpha in that seventh and deciding game, especially in that fourth quarter. Oh, he was. I mean, he was the number one in that game, and he's probably the you know the reason why, you know, of course, the, the James block, you mentioned the green suspension and the big shot down the stretch. And um, But I do think the track record, you know, the post-LeBron, um, the first stint, you know, those years after he was drafted, I think those two or three years, I mean, that was a lottery team. And I know there was the talent around that was not very good, but I just have a hard time believing that Kyrie can go to somewhere and be a Kevin Durant or a Kawhi Leonard or a LeBron James, one of these kind of, or even a Giannis, one of these kind of alphas. One more question on these playoffs. Um, I am rooting for Toronto because I love Kawhi Leonard, and I just, it, I think I've enjoyed watching him play in this postseason more than anybody else. Do you think that they finish off Philly, and do you think that they're the representative out of the East or, or it's Milwaukee? I, I do think they finish him off because I, Philly has not shown me anything, you know, to warrant them. I know the, the game three win and. You know, certainly game four was close, and I just don't know what you're going to get with Joel Embiid. I mean, it's kind of yeah. like a, it's play, it's like playing Russian roulette going into each game based on his health, his knees. What are we going to get here? You know, certainly a, um, you know, game six at home. You know, the the trend is that you will probably get a game a game seven. But I just like how how Toronto has played the last couple games here, and yet now you've got guys starting to step up. You've yep. got Kyle Lowry, Lowry you've yep. got Danny Green, you've got you know certainly Marcus Gasol, and I think Serge. Serge Ibaka, um, certainly here, and and and, Leonard, and you've got a closer in, in Leonard. You know something that we probably didn't really think of because of his role in San Antonio, and and now you've 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 got that. So yeah, I do think I do think we um, they will finish Philadelphia off, and then there's another team, the Sixers. You know what do you do there? You know you've got a lot of big decisions. It's uh yeah you you do and and you know Embiid God I hope we don't have to watch the game tonight with him with his head buried in his towel, breathing, you know, and, and coughing and the whole thing. It's just been insufferable to watch. By the way, you know, there's just something about Kawhi Leonard that's so anti, you know, star. And I think that's why I love him. It's just such a quiet way in which he goes about. He's so patient offensively. It's just fun to watch him play, and we know how good of a defender he is. All right, um, Three other quick things, and I'll let you run because I appreciate the time. First of all, who are the Lakers going to hire as their coach now that Ty Lewis turned him down? I would be stunned if it's not Jason Kidd. (laughs) I really would. I mean, 
It's amazing where this process is. And we saw them, you know, of course, Luke Walton, we're almost a month into Luke Walton being let go. Um, usually when you when you let go of a coach, you kind of have a short list here. And you went from Monty Williams to, to Ty Lue. Uh, if I was advising a head coach, uh, I would want my own staff coming with me. I do not want the Lakers hiring, um, you know, the, putting the, the coaches for you. But it would be interesting if it is Jason Kidd because they, you know, the, the the how the Lakers operate is they never go outside the family tree. I mean, you look how that organization is run with, you know, with Jeannie Buss and you've got Kurt Rambis there advising the track record of coaches from Byron Scott to um, to Luke Walton, Mitch Kupchak as the GM, Rob Palenka's relationship with Kobe Magic. I mean, we can go down the list here. So I think I'm looking at you're looking at Jason Kidd and you're looking at probably. Um, you know, um, Jawan Howard. I mean, I think those are probably your two names. Wow. I know we saw Lionel Hollins. We saw Mike <laughs> Woodson. We saw some of those names. I just, I think it would be hard for the Lakers to hire, you know, a veteran coach for that, for that group. Um, so I think, I think it's, I think it's going to be Kidder Howard. I really do. I just, I can't, there's not another name out there that kind of jumps out at you. At this point, is it a desirable destination for a, a, a big-time free agent to go play with LeBron or not? I, I, if I was a free agent, no. And it's, it's really not all about LeBron. It's just about where it's always going to be about the constant turnover of this roster. Who is the next player to get moved? Who is it? Brandon Ingram? Is it Kyle Kuzma? Are you? I don't think they'll ever be content as far as what the roster they have around um, around around LeBron James. So I think. When you look at the other teams out there, you know, the Clippers, Brooklyn, um, teams that have cap space, you kind of know what you're walking into. You know who your coach is. You know who your front office is. You know what your ownership group is. And I, I don't know if I can say that with the Lakers. All right, Wizards, where are they going for their GM? Well, it would be interesting if Denver is eliminated or, you know, if, if, um, if Tim Connolly is kind of the guy in waiting. I think if, if, if um, you know, he's certainly got some uh, root, you know, roots to that um, area. Um, you know what his track record is in Denver as far as the, the rebuild here. Um, you know, I think he would do a great job, but, um, you know, if, if that's something they want to go. But, yeah, it's kind of been, it's been quiet. I know they've interviewed some, you know, Tommy Shepard certainly is there, Danny Ferry. Um, so those are the kind of names you're looking at, but that's a, you know, that you're walking into a challenge. I mean, you, you see, you follow this team, you know where they are. I mean, the, the Bradley Beal question is going to be fascinating. And by the time the GM is hired, we'll know if Beal is super max eligible or not. And that's going to, that's going to be the big question that they're going to have to tackle. They've got to be rooting for Beal not to make one of those top three teams. It's crazy. And he's got a shot, I think, um, of making the third team. What do you think they'll do with that $20 million Jabari Parker contract slot? I think you'll decline that option. I think that's just a big number. Sure. Um, you'll, you'll decline the team option. You'll have non-bird rights of him. but And you can bring him back on a, a number that maybe makes sense. I thought Parker was good for – um, Washington after the, the the trade from Chicago. So yeah, I mean, I think outside of the Beal situation, you've got a lottery pick. You've got to figure out what what of those free agents do you want back? And it's a lot of them. You know, Sadaransky, it's um, Jabari Parker, Bobby Portis. You know, players um, Thomas Bryant, players like that. That is probably going to be your big offseason decision as far as prioritizing what of those players you want to keep. 
Last one. Uh, assuming Zion uh, is the number one pick, which I think is a fair assumption, is John is John Morant number two? And what, do, do you like? I th- I think this guy looks like a star point guard in the NBA. What do you think? I, I do. I think it will be uh, interesting. Who is that to? I mean, I think if you're Phoenix or um, uh, Chicago or uh, even Cleveland, um, it will be interesting as, as far as do teams prioritize it based on need or value um i think you just kind of you do best available there i think rj barrett will test great i think he'll do well in his individual workouts um but i think where teams are with in a need for guard especially some of these teams at at uh, point guard i think i think you'll probably see a little bit of separation between uh, morant and barrett i think it'd be really interesting if somehow the wizards ended up with a top three pick after the uh after the lottery draw and somehow morant was on the board because i don't think that the new gm should pass on him uh you just have no idea where wall is or where he'll ever be no and i would say i always say don't get cute with the draft yeah and you you, you know you look at depth charts and you see like well wait why would we pick a point guard john walls there well the likelihood is that john morant will out uh, outlast john wall yes. the roster yeah more <laughs> so that's why you yeah so that's why you know unless you've got you know anthony davis at center and he's going to be there for the next 10 years you know you don't take a center um i think that's kind of where you're looking at for the, for, for the draft because it's going to take a little bit of time for these players to develop. And, and you have them for you have them four years on a rookie contract. You probably have them for another four or five years on their next contract. So, yeah, I would. Um, I, that's my advice. If you are picking number one and Zion Williamson is staring at you and you already have a power forward, don't get cute. <laughs> Bobby, thanks so much for your time. You're so great. I follow you on Twitter, read all of your stuff. Everybody should do the same thing, at BobbyMarks42. Really appreciate the time. Talk soon. You're welcome. Thank you. Bobby Marks is really good, uh, really knows his stuff, and there's no better guy to talk about when it comes to NBA contract stuff. He's the best. Uh, the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast is presented by Window Nation. Tell people about it. We're on all of the podcast platforms. Uh, if you're listening to us on iTunes, rate us, review us, and also subscribe on any of the platforms that you can subscribe. Do that. It really helps us out. It doesn't cost you a thing. Um, but writing a review will will really help us uh, as well. It gets us ranked on the iTunes list for sports podcasts, which we've been ranked many times, but it's really driven by uh, reviews, written reviews um, and ratings. Uh, also, let everybody know if they're not listening to the podcast that they can listen to it at the Kevin Sheehan Show dot com. All right, we're going to get to Michael Phillips here uh, shortly um, from the Richmond Times Dispatch, talk about Redskins minicamp. Plus, he wrote a story yesterday about the Redskins and the injuries that they've had. Um, they've been the most injured team here over the last uh, two years. Uh, and he wrote a story about uh, that and what they're trying to figure out uh, as it relates to uh, their injuries. But we'll talk clearly uh, minicamp as well. The Nats lost last uh, yesterday, Aaron, again. Um, this was a different script in that they got behind early, yes. um, very early. Hellickson gave up four in the first. They were down 6 nothing after the second. And then they rallied. They actually had... The bases loaded down 7-3 in the ninth with the tying run uh, at the plate. Um, and uh, 
and I think it was Eaton who ended up striking out um, there at the end. Uh, but it is now 14-22. and 22. They're a bad defensive team. They're struggling to score. Uh, you know, with the exception of Strasburg, even their starting pitching's been a, an issue at times. Clearly their bullpen's been an issue. And now they start this series tonight with the Dodgers, who right now um, have the best record in the National League. Yeah, I mean, it's not good. And, and the defensive thing's the alarming thing because for the entire preseason and up through opening week, Dave Martinez was really saying, you know, this is going to be a great fundamental team. This is going to be a great defensive team. This is going to be, you know, all of these little things. And they're just not. You know, obviously you had the Rendon error in the first inning yesterday and Eaton complete, completely misplaying that fly ball that allowed the ground rule double. I mean, he should have, Helkson should have gotten out of the inning with just the uh, Yelich home run and that would have been it. Yeah, Yelich uh, early home run in the first. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but he didn't because the fundamentals, and this is a trend. You know, Mike Rizzo was on uh, 106.7 yesterday and definitely sounded annoyed. He, he did sh- say, again, give support for Martinez. He said, oh, you know, the team's still rallying behind him. The team's still playing hard behind him. But these fundamental things, these, I don't want to say careless things, but these things that aren't necessarily on the manager but kind of fall into his domain of the effort, if you want to say put it that way, that's going to be an issue when it comes to how long does Dave Martinez keep his job. Yeah, this is uh, these. You know, you you called it before this road trip that they could come back. You know, eight nine back, and Martinez could be in trouble. And I did not hear the Rizzo yesterday. I heard it last week when he was a little bit more, you know, defensive, but also um, protective a little bit of Dave Martinez, really referring to and alluding to the injuries over and over again. But you know, they're going into a series this weekend where let's just say they lose three of four, they could easily easily be nine back if they um, lose three or four they're ten back uh well it depends on what it depends on what philly does Um, oh oh, back yes yes under yeah uh, no i was was, was saying games back but yeah oh yeah they they would they would be they would be 15 and 25 i think right uh if they were uh if they went one and three or something like that um and they it's a it's going to be a big early hole to climb out of certainly not impossible with you know, you're talking about 40 games into the season, they're going to go ahead and play the other 122 anyway. Um, but it's just there are a lot of signs here. Um, did you hear, hear what Jim Bowden said on, uh, on, on I think it was the MLB Network? I heard he said something. I didn't see the specifics of what he said. He said, quote, um, I think on MLB Network. I think that's where uh, he was. Um, and I, I, I found this and read this in Scott Allen's column uh, on the Post. Uh, quote, Dave Martinez is one of the worst managers I've seen in the big leagues in a long time, to be honest with you, but I don't know how I can blame them uh, or blame their start on him. He said, there's no Rendon, there's no Trey Turner, there's no Ryan Zimmerman, there's no Juan Soto, there's no Matt Adams. Then I look at the bullpen. The bullpen's not very good um, before they get to Doolittle. Bearclaw is is good only if he starts an inning. If he comes in with traffic, he gives it up. The back of the rotation's not good. Hellickson's had a good start or two, but that's it. Annabelle Sanchez has been horrible. Is that the manager's fault? 
closed quote. So basically, he rips two people in that in that quote. He rips the manager saying he's the worst he's ever seen, but then he rips Rizzo for the players that they have. But also takes the manager a little bit off the hook with all of the injuries. Yeah, I mean, look, Rizzo did a bad job of putting that bullpen together. The entire bullpen was was built around the thought that Trevor Rosenthal would come back and be this dominant guy so you could play matchups with the rest of the bullpen and there was really not a lot of reason to believe that Rosenthal was going to be a shutdown eighth inning guy. And when that fell apart, the rest of the bullpen fell apart. And obviously a lot of things went wrong, but they were expecting a lot of things to go right in that bullpen. So, yeah, there is some blame on Rizzo. I want to go back to what you just said, though, about, you know, there's still a lot of time to make up ground. And yes, there is. But if they come back from this 15 and 25, let's say they go the one and four or one and three against the Dodgers, they come back 15 and 25. That means there's 122 games left. Let's say they have to, let's conservatively say 88 games to get to that second wild card spot. That means they have to go 73 and 49 <laughs> for the rest of the season. Yeah. Like, there. yes, there's a lot of time, but 73 and 49 is a really tough ask, and that might not even get you to the playoffs. Yeah. Um, you know, when they finish this road trip up, they have a bunch of games with the Mets, with the Cubs sandwiched in between, and the Cubs have been on fire recently. Now, those Cub games are at home, um, and I think they play like six or seven in a row at home when they get back from this road trip. But, no, I, I, I get it. And and there's a lot of traffic, using Jim Bowden's you know, bullpen, uh, or, or, yeah, bullpen term um, in front of them because it's a bottled-up division. I mean, the Phillies right now actually have won two in a row as Atlanta, New York, and Washington have been losing games here recently. So they've got, uh, you know, I think it's a three- or four-game lead over Atlanta, something like that, seven over the Nats. Um, but it's not really chasing one team because there are other teams in front of them as well, and these teams are going to play a lot. And and the National League, you know, is really loaded right now. I mean, you've got the Dodgers, you've got the Cubs, you've got the Brewers, you've got the Cardinals. So, you know, you're talking about going 73-49 and 49 to chase a wild card that 88 games may probably come up short. Um, on especially the way it started. Who knows? It's a long right. season. Um, but anyway, all right, uh, let's get to uh, Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Michael, of course, uh, is a reporter for the Richmond Times-Dispatch covering the skins. You can follow him on Twitter, at Michael P-R-T-D. Um, he's one of my favorite guests when we talk skins. Um, the last time we talked to you was right before the draft, and we had you on before the draft. I haven't had a chance to talk to you since. What did you think of the draft? Well, you know, I'll admit to not being wild about the Haskins pick, uh, but good value. They didn't trade up, so you could say they checked all the boxes. I liked coming back to get sweat. If you believe in the guy, you know, do it. And I thought it was a solid draft in terms of filling holes across the board. So I, I agree with the people who gave them high marks. And I try not to dock them too much because of my personal belief Haskins isn't going to work out, which is unrelated to taking a quarterback 15, not reaching, grabbing the best guy on the board. I, I think it was, it was an appropriate pick for the slot. Why don't you like Haskins? I just got too many red flags here. You know, I'd, I'd prefer for everybody in the building to, to feel good about the guy or at least be on the same page. He, he, I feel a lot of the a lot of the RG3 vibes again, which isn't to say he's not going to be a great player. He, he's obviously a great athlete. But, you know, from, from the owners getting involved to, you know, the, the reporting around Haskins leading up to the draft to the 
the big show at the bowling alley. I, I, there were just a lot of red flags to be in that lead-up. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I just, during the entire college football season, personally just wasn't a huge fan of Haskins. You know, it's one of those things you watch and you just have a – you know, a sense as a sports fan, as a football fan, and we all form these opinions. And I just said during the college football season, you know, after multiple games, I'm like, I just don't see it. Like, I don't see it. And then, of course, the Redskins draft him, and now everybody, you know, uh, is angry at anybody that seems to have a problem with Haskins. Well, I'm not changing my <laughs> mind, but but you brought in to play some of the other stuff and 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 just made the statement that there's a lot of RG3 feel I think that there were more potential um, red flags uh, on RG3 early on. But I, 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 you know what? I don't even know if that's true. I, here's what I, I said yesterday, and I'm curious as to what you think. I think we are going to start to get a sense sooner rather than later. And that means starting tomorrow or Saturday, the media is uh, going to be at minicamp on Saturday. By listening to Jay Gruden describe Haskins' progress as to what they have. Mike Shanahan told me, Mike, last week that Jay Gruden's going to know quickly whether or not this is a guy that is going to be a factor soon or is more of a long-term project. And we know Jay has this ability to really not mince words, and even if he's mincing words, we can pretty much read between the lines with Jay as to how he feels. I think we're going to start to, to to get a sense of what he thinks this weekend if we don't already have a sense of it already. What do you think? Yeah, and even going back to, I remember talking to Jay at the owners' meetings in Phoenix, and he viewed Haskins as a guy who would not be able to jump in right away and be quarterback of this team. Now, lots can change. He gets in the building, maybe he dazzles them, you know, maybe, maybe something happens this weekend that he looks great, all of a sudden you're on an accelerated timetable. Lots of things change when the kid gets in the building. Uh, but yeah, you go back to those first instincts. A lot of people have those first instincts, and you know, it's it certainly, you get a guy in the draft, he puts on the jersey, everybody has to feel good about him for a little while. Uh, but you go back to those initial instincts, they do often prove to be correct. Yeah, so, you know, you, you've you been reporting on this, and we've all had conversations with a lot of different people. Um, I think that one of the things that potentially becomes a drama, if it's clear that Haskins is more of a long-term developmental guy than a guy that's ready, I think all of us have this sense that there could be some drama here over the summer with ownership wanting Haskins to play sooner rather than later and the coaching staff saying, hey, Dan, he ain't ready to play in the NFL if you want to have a competitive outfit. This is going to be a fascinating preseason because your two outcomes are he plays well and everybody clamors for him or he plays poorly and everybody takes a step back, but that's not good for the franchise if he plays poorly because you'd rather have a guy play well. Uh, Both outcomes have positives and negatives. If he plays well, that's great for the franchise, but that also means he's probably going to get thrown in really quickly because everybody's going to get excited about these preseason games. If he plays poorly, that that's bad because you want your franchise quarterback to play well, but it, it maybe allows you to roll with Case Keenum for longer than, than the fan base would tolerate otherwise. Even training camp, every day at training camp is going to be an evaluation. Everybody's going to be out there in the stands with, with their camera phones and, and their clipboards and Every day is going to bring a new, fresh evaluation. This is one of the more fascinating 
off-season storylines we've had in quite some time. Well, it is because we all know that this was the owner's pick and that the football people were not in agreement on this. Now, Joe's uh, Jay is go along to get along, and he's going to make the best of it, but the, the one thing is that Jay also realizes he's got to do something this year, and I think he actually is a fan of Case Keenum. And one of the problems I think they all had was I think they looked at Case and said, we're okay at quarterback. I don't know if I personally agree with that, but that is part of the dynamic here is that I, I feel like there's a decent chance they're going to all come to the conclusion that they've got a much better chance immediately with Case Keenum. And, and Jay needs to be successful immediately because it's the NFL and you get judged at the end of every year and his contract status demands that a, a decision be made at the end of this year on his future. Uh, I, I agree. There's a lot of love between Case and Jay both directions, and, and he views that as well. It, it's kind of funny. All the storylines get rolled together here. Jay is known for his not being able to win week one. Obviously, he got Arizona last year, but you know the slow starts have been a storyline for this team under Jay. He cannot afford a slow start, if, assuming he gets his guy. I do. I believe that Case Keenum's going to line up under center week one. But Jay can't afford a slow start with Case. They've got to start fast, and they've got to be good enough to keep that pressure off because it, it's not just Case versus the other team. It's Case versus the guy wearing the visor on the sideline who you know that a lot of people want that football game. So we know um, that, and, and I think the fans have a sense of this, and I think hopefully most of them know that it's not media-generated, that th- there's going to be um, a, you know, a huge storyline, which is the quarterback position on the team. What's the next biggest storyline as we get ready for minicamp, the first minicamp, and then we eventually make our way to Richmond for training camp? You know, I'm super intrigued about inside linebacker with the two Fosters, Mason Foster and Reuben Foster. Uh, you obviously Ruben Foster is going to be out there from the beginning. What, what's he got? What, you know, he faded a little bit in San Francisco in year two. Is he going to be the Pro Bowl player who was you know projected as a top pick in the draft before he fell, or or, or was that kind of the start of something that the San Francisco people saw and said, well, may, maybe it's a little bit easier to to use this to to cut bait now. So I think that's a fascinating position. Obviously, we're all watching Landon Collins, you know, big flashy acquisition there. they they got to get better at that position. Josh Norman, and another spot. You just go across the board here. There's there's a lot of guys who really need to prove something this year. Um, and, and then that doesn't even mention wide receiver, where I still think they're a little too thin right now uh, to be running the kind of offense they want to run. Yeah, I, I agree with all of those. And, and the other one – and I'm partial to this because this was the guy that I loved all college football season and, and heading towards the draft. You know, that outside linebacker position, you know, the players know, the coaches know early on on a guy like Montez Sweat. Did we did we get a top five player in this draft at 26? Or are some of those concerns that sort of surrounded him, not even health-related, were they real? Because you can tell on an outside pass rusher if he's easy to block or difficult to block, you know, as you, as you get into training camp. And I'm, I'm interested to see what the early thoughts on Montez Sweat are. Because if, if he is what I think he is, then it's going to be noticeable from the jump. It's like the, uh, the, the Monty Hall game show, let's make a deal. And uh, we, picked, we picked the box, and uh, it's time, time to open up the box here over the next couple of weeks and yeah. see what's inside it. going to be fun. Um, you wrote a story uh, yesterday about the Redskins um, being, you know, twice having been the most injured team in football, and you asked the question, is that bad luck or bad planning? Which is it? 
yes is, is the answer ultimately because it, I'll give you the poster child both ways. Obviously, Alex Smith for bad luck. There, there was nothing to suggest Alex Smith was going to get hurt in that way. It was a complete fluke injury. Uh, you know, nobody else in football had that injury to that extent last year. So, so that's something they couldn't have planned on. That's bad luck. Bad planning is, hey, Sean Laval is going to be our starting left guard for 16 games. I think we all saw the flaw in that plan before the first, the first play was ever run last year. He wasn't going to make it 16 games. Stunner, he didn't make it 16 games. They, they were left taping things together at that position. So uh, to me, it's a combination. I, I think, you know, a lot of it goes back to they, they've kind of been chasing this playoff thing for the last few years, trying to keep the window open. I think as a result, they, they've maybe made decisions that, you know, they roll the dice a little bit more than, than would be called for under normal circumstances. And sometimes you win with that. You get an Adrian Peterson. Sometimes you lose. You get a guy who, who's injured and then doesn't pan out. Um, it, it's a fascinating thing, but they, they, they are taking this very seriously. I guess it's the main takeaway of the article, uh, flying people to, to England to see what the Premier League soccer teams do. Uh, bringing in outside consultants to to address it. This is not something where they're sitting on their hands. They understand this is something that could actively undermine the success of the football team this year moving forward. Two more, and I'll let you run. Um, Where is Darius Geis right now? Yeah, he he says he will be ready for training camp. Uh, I've never been a guy to to believe the athlete until I see it happen. Uh, if he's back for training camp, you, you would think he'll be good to get some carries, get in the mix, get those preseason carries. If he misses training camp in the preseason, uh, I, I think you just roll with Peterson and, and kind of let him quietly work off to the side until he's needed. And then what about a Brandon Sheriff extension? What are you hearing? Still, it's still a desire to get it done. I, I would uh, recall a couple of years ago when Ryan Kerrigan got his big extension, it was announced the day before training camp began. Uh, so certainly uh, that that's often perceived as kind of the, the soft deadline by these guys. Once they get to training camp, they prefer to turn off their phones and not worry about the extensions, that sort of thing. So this could be a, a go-to-the-buzzer type situation there. Um, I know that there is a desire to get it done. I think they'd be very wise to get it done. Um, but I, I don't get the sense that, uh, you know, this is going to be something that, that becomes a public negotiation. I, I know Sheriff is, is very withdrawn and, and, and reserved, certainly in his dealings with the media. Uh, you know, Bruce uh, tries to run a tight ship in that regard as well. Uh, so I, I would guess we don't hear anything until it happens or it doesn't happen. I hope they didn't lowball him, you know, to the point where he and his agent say, you know what, we'll play this thing out and we'll make you either franchise us or we'll get to unrestricted free agency after 2019. I, I just, Why, I, is that a thing that happens in D.C.? <laughs> well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's funny because for 10 years it never happened. They paid 15 to 20% above retail. And with Bruce, it's, you know, look at the deal I got on this average player. You know, and Brandon Sheriff's not an average player, so I hope they uh, I, I hope they went about this the right way. Um, it's always good catching up with you. Enjoy your trip up uh, on Saturday, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Michael. Looking forward to it. Michael Phillips, Richmond Times Dispatch, uh, covers the Skins um, on the Brandon Sheriff thing. Um, I do have a sense that they potentially lowballed uh, Sheriff with the first offer. Um, it doesn't mean that they won't get a deal done. It's a negotiation, um, but it just seems odd uh, if this thing doesn't get done before the season. If it doesn't get done before the season, doesn't mean that it can't happen in season, but I've said this a dozen times already. 
you you let that player sniff free agency, he wants to get there. He and his agent want to get there, especially with some of you know the recent deals for guards, you know Norwell, Zach Martin, etc. Quick word about Launch Workplaces, new affordable private office solutions in Bethesda. Uh, they've got fully furnished offices, conference rooms, co-working desks. If you just need that, a couple of days a week, high-speed internet, complimentary drinks, a cafe and free parking and plenty of it. Get more work done today by moving your office to launch workplaces in Bethesda. Call today for an exclusive free two-day trial, 240-867-14, or visit launchworkplaces.com. They've got locations throughout the city to see where all of those are. Go to launchworkplaces.com. All right, let's uh, let's bring in Scott Van Pelt to finish up the show. Um I had Bobby Marks on the show earlier. I actually really enjoy him, uh, and I spent a lot He's of time. Right. Yeah, I spent a lot of time talking about the game last night. Uh, I know you were on the air for some of it. In fact, I think you were on the air when Durant got injured, right? We were. And so I, I flipped back and forth during the commercials, but I, it was one of those games that I think was really memorable. I, I thought it was such a an incredibly um, an incredible dramatic moment in this postseason, and one of the more dramatic moments in a lot of postseasons. Because I really felt in the moment when he got hurt that it was over for the Warriors. I thought the Rockets would go on to win last night. They'd win the series, and you know this dynasty run was over. You're not watching it live because you're doing the show, but did you have any sense when he went down what you thought? Oh, sure, because, I mean, let's be honest. You're hosting a show that you know not a single human is watching. Because, if, and I mean, we host a show for sports fans. Sports fans were watching the Rockets and the Warriors. Um, so it's on, and and I'm keeping tabs on it during breaks. It's obviously much easier than when you're trying to host a television show. But like Durant, who they've been riding, uh, goes out in a tie game, and you're thinking, wow, that might be it, man. This could be the last game at Oracle, and Houston will seize this moment. And then I was able to see the Clay 3 and the Draymond 3, which was insane, because I think he had missed like, some preposterous number, like 25 in a row before that, and, and I couldn't have my numbers wrong. But I, I didn't even know that. He had just gotten teed up, a stupid tech, yeah. you know, for the for the yeah, leg but, bump on, on, on Chris Paul. But then he, then he buries a three, and, and they survive. And, I mean, Steve Kerr, who I think is the best, I just I, I appreciate his sort of clarity of thought and his, his honesty about his positions on life. For him to say, my guys were bleeping giants twice in the postgame tells you how big a deal last night was. Because at minimum, at minimum, it earns them another game at home, and it earns them a few days to give Durant time to get healthy, if that's even enough. And right now we don't know. But, I mean, in the moment, it clearly felt massive, and and it felt like it would be the end of it. Now, here's where me not watching hurts me, because I don't understand the context, but I don't know how it's possible that James Harden shot the ball one time in the last eight and a half minutes. Uh, nobody does. I mean, you know, 
I Golden State did double a little bit more for a little bit longer at times, but you know we've seen Harden, and I described it earlier, and you'll know what I'm talking about. When they do hedge out hard and they double, he'll just be patient and let it sort of die off and go back, and then you know go to work. He deferred over and over again in that fourth quarter to Chris Paul. It was really odd and. If they if that was an elimination game and he had played that way in the fourth quarter, that would have been a massive story this morning. Well, and Paul had a terrible game. Right, so terrible I, I, game. It, see, this is weird. Like, anytime Steph has a bad game in the playoffs, and he's had poor games in the playoffs, it, 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 people, and I, by people, I do this ter- that horrible habit I have where I say people, and I'm just talking about the internet. No, it's people I care about or respect, but it's just you see the, the conversation about, that, that shines a light on the poor games. And I think, all right, he averaged 27 in the finals last year. What are we doing? We're saying he had a bad game. Okay, he went 7 for 27 or whatever in Houston. He missed a dunk, and he missed some layups, and everyone's ha, 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 look at Steph. Well, like, James Harden was horrendous in a Game 7 loss at home to the Clippers a couple of years ago where they blew the giant lead and was, like, oddly passive, I guess, last night. And it's, it's weird. He doesn't – he's a great player. And, and and not just a great player. He's maybe he and Durant are the two toughest guys in the league to deal with offensively, for obviously for different reasons. But when he gets it cooking, he's really unguardable, and he's also because you can't defend him, or else he's going to get the line. So just the idea that he's sort of tapping out in a game where Durant's not on the floor or deferring, maybe that's the game plan. But if it is, then that's on D'Antoni. My question to him would be why. So I, I just think. I don't know, man. He, for, he's a great player. I just I don't know if he would have chosen to almost remove himself from the game in, in, in a game where if you steal it, you come home with a chance to to to, to slay the dragon, a real dragon, not a fire breathing dragon. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you watch Sunday night? I, I, we haven't talked about that. Did you watch? I, or not? I, I don't know what it is. I, I you know. Cersei, you know, the little guy talking. I don't know. I guess I watched. I, I didn't bother you. You, you didn't bother me. You did. Uh, you texted me something about Cersei. Like she's she's a, yeah, she's, she's, a, she's a really mean, really mean. She's a mean person. Um, so you know, back to to Steph for a moment, because by the way, you know when when Iguodala got the MVP in the 2015 NBA Finals, like because Steph had shot poorly, he was still incredible in that series. I felt, and I thought that it was a bit of a reach to give Iguodala the MVP, but whatever. You know, Curry really has always been under a microscope, and part of the context last night when Durant went out is Steph's in the midst of an awful series and an awful game last night, and then. Part of the incredible drama, and for me it was a bit unexpected, like I was intrigued to see how Steph would handle Durant leaving the game, but I really thought Houston had done a great job on him and now it was going to be even easier. But he went off. You know, he scored 14 yep. the rest of the game, and, and, and it was really, you know, not to sound so cliche, but it really was like this heart of a champion, him and Thompson and Draymond saying, it's not ending. Like, we've won a title without Durant before. We can still do it again. Um, but I, they, I, they, they were they were 73 games without him. Now, granted, the league changed <laughs> quickly in that time. But, I mean, like, just they're, they're, they're not a collection of bums. That's the reason everybody got back to Ray and the team to begin with, because it already had a bunch of all-stars. It still does. Right. And, you know, talking about Kerr, um, what, what he said, and we played it earlier uh, with without bleeping it out because it's a podcast, and I, and I think it was, you know, it, it, it certainly 
I left it in there because it's it, it it reflected the impact of it and the the emotion of it. But you know, people were concerned about Durant, and here he was saying, "Yeah, we're concerned, but my God, the context of." Being, by the way, Houston, all of the momentum in the world being down 20, closing it to one, losing Durant, Steph not playing well, and my guys stepped up like champions, and we won that game. Now look out. Like, let's assume that Durant isn't going to play, because I think that's a fair assumption, at least for the rest of this series. What do you think happens? I think that Golden State comes home and, and, and figures out a way to win. Um, in a seventh game. Correct. I mean, look, I think you go to Houston and you just you, you draw up a game plan that's three heavy and you just you just pull like maniacs and maybe you get hot, you know? And you and you and you know that you're going into a place against a team that not as constructed because they're not the same, but it's enough of the same to say, look, these guys have shown a an ability as a team to to just kind of strangely come up small. So let's go there and just chuck a ton of threes. Maybe we get hot, and maybe those guys just punt. You know, who knows? I'm not predicting that at all. But I'm saying that's what I, That's how I'd look at game six is a free roll. And then come home and, and bank on the, the, the people in, in a – in that Bay Area and, and Oracle to give you every bit of it, what they've got of support and figure out a way to win in Game Seven. Um, I mean, I, I, that, that's what my guess is that I don't think Houston's going to win the next two games. Um, but wouldn't it be oddly symmetrical if, given Chris Paul being out last year um, for for the end of the series, to to have the the best player on Golden State uh, a year later out, and then Houston gets a chance to do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm sensing um, in your answer that you actually feel the way I do to a certain degree, which is I but, have no well, I, I have no idea what to expect in these final two games. Like I, well, I sure I don't I don't either. I'm just answering it just more yeah. guessing. Like I'm not. But I'm it's not, a, there's no who knows. But I, I think when you lose a star like Durant, more times than not, there's a definitive feeling that you have and. I did once he went out. I thought I thought it was over. I thought Houston was going. I thought yeah. Houston had a chance to win when they cut it to one anyway with him in the game. And I thought if they had won last night, they were going to win the series. But it's just what happened over the final fourteen minutes. Um, you know, gives me pause. It was you know I, I watched. Well, in, yeah, go ahead. Just one last thought on this. I mean, sometimes like you know, if if a player has a minor injury, but maybe, maybe it, it, the adrenaline of the moment allows you to get through it. And then afterwards, it's like, wow, I'm actually kind of hurt here, but I was able to figure it out. Maybe as a team, they're more wounded. Um, you know, look, you don't lose Durant and just go, oh, no, we're, we're the same team. No, the guy's an absolute monster. But the fact that it was as long as it was that they did it without Durant and won is, I think, and the fact, again, like, we're not talking about, about, about like, you know, the sandlot. Okay, this isn't you know, a bunch of little plucky little underdogs. My God, they've got former MVP. They got a finals MVP. They got Clay who won cracks. They got Draymond who, who, who's, you know, one of the more unusual talents in the league. I mean, they've got enough uh, to, to, with two chances, win one game, you know? You know, as you were talking, I just pulled up the, uh, I figured there'd be no line on tomorrow night's game, but there is a line. 
and at the assumption, I'm sure they're making the assumption that there's no way Durant plays tomorrow night. Um, he's six, seven and a half. Yeah, so they think he's out. And then if if he's out in a game seven back at Golden State, that's a pick 'em in the seventh and deciding yep. game. Well, that'd be great. It's you know coin flip game. Let's let's go. I'd be nuts. Yeah, I mean, technically, you know, based on seven and a half at Houston, Houston might even be a one-point spot in a seventh and deciding game. Uh, who comes out of the East? Milwaukee. Yeah, you've liked them from the beginning. You might be, you might be right. I, I've liked Toronto from the beginning. I thought Boston would win the series. Oh, I, Kyrie Irving last night was an embarrassment. In a clo- go ahead. Yeah, go ahead on that. Well, I, I mean. Legler and I uh, on the show, no one was watching because Golden State was on. Had a, had a, you know, I, I think a thoughtful conversation about it. And Tim, who I know you feel the same as me, is just so good. And his, his, the way he framed it, which I think is fair, you know, it's a fair criticism to say that that this was a massive miscalculation from Kyrie's part. Where you think I want to go be the guy, uh, yeah, I want to get out of the shadow of this other guy, and I want to go be the guy. Okay, well then. What you the miscalculation is how much do you really want to lead? Because if you go to Boston and it, there's no that that spotlight is is omnipresent and they expect the expectation is that you'll lead and you'll lead demonstrably and you won't get you won't get all in your feelings and just kind of punt and turtle and 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 just decide midway through the year I don't know you bleep anymore after you basically propose to them before the season like. He just miscalculated what that obligation was, and he wasn't up to it. And, you know, the way that Boston stepped forward last year with guys like Rozier and Brown and Tatum elevating their roles in the absence of the All-Stars, now this year those guys have to sort of step back and acquiesce. And you saw Rozier afterwards, like, with some really pointed comments. Like, I don't give a belief about anything. Nobody gave up more than me this year. Like, right. he had to step back. And Kyrie went 25 of 83 in his last four games. And they didn't seem to care, or if they did care, they didn't. They didn't have enough to, to punch back against Milwaukee last night. And Brad Stevens said I did a bad job, and, and I admire him owning it. But I don't know, like if your star decides to just sort of mentally check out, like I don't know how you can deal with that. And then look, Gordon Hayward is not the guy. They, they, they didn't max out a guy to have him scored. I looked this up on my own last night. You know how many times he scored 20 points or more this year? Not a lot. Six. Six times this season and once in the playoffs he scored more than 20 points. He's making more than $30 million a year. So you get your two All-Stars back. One of them starts pouting and the other one can't do it. And, you know, being off. Like, that's the the Boston side. This is what people have hesitated to do all year, but I haven't. The Wookiee's the best team in the NBA. Okay, not, that's not my opinion. That's the, those are the facts. They have demonstrated they're the best team in the NBA. They have the most wins. They have the most blowout wins, and that's what they do. They don't just beat you by four or six. They beat the crap out of you, and that's what they did to Boston. And this is who they've been all year. This, so we can say, oh, you know, Kyrie, this. Okay, that's part of it. But this is more who Milwaukee is and what what Boston is not, in my opinion. You know what? After watching the, this series, you're not wrong. I mean, they are really, really good. And I guess my sense before the postseason was the NBA's odd, um, uh, oddly unique yep. in that 
you have to earn it by losing first over a couple of years before you get to play in the NBA Finals or or get to legitimately compete for a title. But you watch yeah, them. You yeah, you watch them. They are re- really good. In fact, if they played Golden State, a healthy Golden State in the finals, I'd give them a shot, more than a shot. Um, but I, I'm rooting for Toronto and Kawhi Leonard. I just love watching him play, and I just think you know, there's something about him the the anti star the the way in which he goes about what he does, and Philadelphia is well, insuffer- not, insufferable to watch. You're not wrong. You're not wrong about Kawhi and Toronto. He's awesome, and if it's them, that's fine. It'll be a hell of a series because Kawhi is an absolute animal. He's just a, he's so good. He's so, he's so tough. He's so he's so smart on the floor. He's everything you want to start to be. He's, he's he's the anti star of, of 2019. He's fantastic. I just the word for Milwaukee that coaches always use is connected, and maybe that means they like each other. Maybe that means that everybody on the floor plays as one unit. But Budenholzer came in and made them just they're just everything fits together exactly, and they all adore the guy who's their best player. Um, he's he provides sort of the energy, which is why early when he looked timid and, and lost. I thought, oh man, they're in trouble. But then he found his footing and you know, from from the last you know, middle of the third game on it was like or second game on, it was pretty obvious to me what they were gonna do. All right, two things I'll let you run um quickly. Yep. Uh Maryland signing this seven two center ch- uh Shoal or Chole Mariel. Um what are you hearing mm-hmm. about him? What do they think of him? Well he it's sort of like a it's it's a low risk high reward deal. I mean it's it's a I mean, I, I hesitate to just to, to compare a human being to a scratch-off ticket, but like, that's kind of it. And and he's it's a it's what I mean by that is he when he was the when he was the number one player in the class, it was when he was young and healthy, and then he has not been healthy for literally years. Uh, it's been this, it's been that, it's been the other, it's been shin splints, and maybe there's concern that he's unable to go. But I know that in what I can gather from Maryland is that they think that he's that the odds are good enough that he could be healthy, and given his length, I mean he's got like an eight foot wingspan. He, he blocks anything in his radius. So you take him and you um, you you hope that he's healthy enough to play. And if he does, then then great. And if not, then all right, you you use the scholarship on a guy that, that if he's healthy, he's a lottery pick. And if he's not, then he's not. But I, I like because in years past, Church hasn't used all the scholarships. I never got that. Uh, right. This is like the the perfect thing to to use it on because, by the way, if he's good at all, he'll go. It'll be a one year deal. So fine, all right. We'll t- take a flyer on that. I'm I'm sign me up. Uh, do, do Tony Romo's playing um in the Byron Nelson <laughs> starting yeah. today? By the way, the the leaderboard has my boy Denny McCarthy at the top of it right now. He's five under par. Um, it'd be great to see him uh really finish. He's had a couple of good finishes, but to win would be incredible. But um. I read this story on ESPN.com the other day. I, I don't even know who read it about Romo and his, you know, really trying to earn it. You know, he wants this to happen. He wants to 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 be a golfer. He wants to be a professional golfer. When you, you know, we've heard before about taking these exemptions or wild cards or whatever they're called. Is this something that tour players understand or are they angered by it? That's a great question. I, I think I think with Romo, it's a, it's kind of it, it's unique because he's this obviously he's an icon in Dallas and he is a guy that's like it's not like 
like there's guys like I think I, I want to say like a Jerry Rice got like a web.com exemption and went out and shot like 25 over. That pisses guys off. It's like, look, this guy can't do it at all. And in Dallas, I I think people be smart enough to understand the guy probably sells some tickets and he can play all right. But the best story I ever heard, and Butch Harmon told me this story, and Butch is one of the all-time great storytellers, was when he was a champion in Houston, there was a, a, a guy, a oil guy, for argument's sake, who was a good player, maybe like a Lobo, he could play. But he came to him and he told him, hey, listen, I'm a, you know, 40, I'm 48, and, and when I get to two years from now, I'm going to go play on the senior tour. And Butch looked at him and said, is that right? He said, yeah, I just need to spend, I need to work with you and, um, and, and, and two years, like, I, I, I know I can do it. He said, come with me. And he brought the guy into the men's grill, and he pointed and he pointed to a guy sitting down having lunch. He goes, you see that guy right there? His name's Tom Kite. Two years from now, he's going to play on the Champions Tour. I don't have enough time, and you don't have enough money for me to make you good enough to play against him in two years. Have a nice day. <laughs> <laughs> Who was, wait, and, I missed at the beginning. Who was the guy, or did you just not name him? Or was it, it just it a was random just a guy? guy. It was a, oh, okay. It was a it was a business guy. Got it. Like Tony Romo, he was not a professional golfer. And his point was, in two years, I'll I'll play. And Butch's point is, that's Tom Kite. He spent his whole life playing. He's a major <laughs> champion. In two years, you're not good enough to play against him. Like Romo, I, by all accounts, he can he can play. But like good enough to play professionally, I just there's the the difference between being good enough to to shoot. Go out today to Columbia or Burning Tree or, or Congressional in town and shoot a 68, and being able to go do it out at Avenel if they had if they had ropes up and we'll keep the score for real and do it is is it's the difference between a, a, a pond and the Atlantic Ocean. Like yeah. they're not in any way like things. So like Tony wants to work hard on his golf game. Great, I admire him for for putting in the the honest effort to be worthy of the of the exemption. But he's not going to be a professional golfer. And this didn't really answer your question because it angry. I think it's a case-by-case thing. I think I would think the role of case, guys get it enough to understand why he'd be there. But there's some dude that's not getting a shot to get a life-changing win. And I did a whole thing, Kevin, on this guy, Max Homa, who won last week at, right. uh, at uh, Quail Hollow. You know, all, these guys are, those guys are good enough. You know, if it's their week, it changes their life if they play well. So I, I understand why there's guys that, that kind of roll their eyes at this thing. All right. Um, Sunday night, uh, 9 o'clock, uh, one of the, the first of the final two episodes. So tune in because, you you know, you've been spending so much time here recently with no context at all. I'm sure you'll have it all figured out on Sunday night. Yeah, I, I, I don't know the people's names, but I just wish the guy would have brought his dog with him. That seemed like you'd <laughs> say goodbye to your dog. I yeah. don't know. Like it, Otis, Otis is standing right next to me. I wouldn't, Otis, I'd never leave you, buddy. Yeah, I'd you, always bring you with me. Yeah, he, Otis is the most important person in Scott's life, pretty much, um, other than yep. his children and, yep. and wife, of course. Um, all right, sure. uh, thanks for doing this. I'll talk to you this week. Always. Have a good day. All right, uh, audio there for a little bit. Um, Got a little bit dicey, but I wasn't going to be a pain in the ass today for whatever reason. I was just being nice to him today. Um, and uh, you, I think you got the gist of it. Uh, that Butch Harmon story is a good one. <laughs> you, you don't know. I'm sure many of you, too, have uh, talked to guys that are absolutely convinced they're going to be on the senior tour when they're 50. Uh, and it uh, is not going to happen, more likely than not. Um, tomorrow on the show, Vinny Serrato will be our guest. I think we'll have... Uh, somebody on to um, that uh, is at minicamp uh, tomorrow as well. So we'll do a lot of Redskins in NFL tomorrow. 
Uh, tonight, some NBA. I'm hoping Toronto closes out Philadelphia. I'm rooting for, on them. I, I did not look at today's lines yet, Aaron. Um, I really didn't. I actually, you know, I, I, I told you that I, I if I was forced to play a game last night, I would have played Houston, uh, but I didn't play it. Tonight, Toronto's a two-point favorite at Philadelphia. Interesting. Two-point favorite at Philadelphia to close out the Sixers, and then Portland's a three-and-a-half spot, uh, point spot at home to even up that series. I don't like either game. Don't like either game tonight. Uh, have you been playing NBA or not? Uh, I haven't been playing too much NBA. I would have put money on the Bucs. Did you have Liverpool though. the other day? Yeah, totally. Had okay. you know 50-1 to one to win? Absolutely. Have a great day, everybody. Back tomorrow, Vinny Serrato on the show.